Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. I'm so grateful you've joined us for our study through the doctrine of repentance. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon on the doctrine of repentance. Brilliant. Okay. Well, tonight we continue the doctrine of repentance. The doctrine of repentance. That is what the Bible teaches about repentance, what it is. Uh, Turning from sin to Christ. And as we have found, it is impossible to turn from your sin unless the Holy Spirit of God has given you a new heart with which you see Christ as more desirable than your sin. You won't flee to him. You certainly won't run to someone that you're uncertain will save you if you come. He says, I am full of grace. I have infinite grace as God. Though your sins are remarkably many as man, they are finite. My grace is infinite. And so you either believe him and run to him or you don't. And this is essentially what repentance is. Now, what is, for those of you that have been around the Bible a little bit in your lives, what is the beginning of wisdom? The beginning of wisdom is? Yeah, the fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh. Here's a question for you tonight. Do you fear Yahweh? That's God's name. Do you you fear God? If not, you've not even begun to be wise. You've not even begun. That's the starting line of what real wisdom is, is fear of God. Do you know that God says... That to fear him is to hate evil. To fear him is to hate evil. Now, do you hate your sin? I'm not talking about sins out there that you see people do. I'm not talking about having a selection of sins that you really love to hate. I'm asking the sin that's in your heart. Do you hate that? Because hatred of sin, hatred of my sin is essential to true repentance. True repentance is not happening unless I hate that sin from which I long to repent. Now, how does hatred of sin differ from sorrow for sin that we've discussed or shame for sin that we've now discussed? These are things I want you to be considering as we move through the message tonight. I want you to think to yourself, what sin am I failing to hate? What sin am I failing to hate? Am I hating a couple sins in my life only so that I can love this one I really enjoy? Or am I hating all my sins? Which sins is going without my hatred? 
Which sins is not in the crosshair of my hatred? Be thinking about this. When does godly hatred for sin enter our heart? When can we know that godly hatred for sin has entered our heart? And lastly, why must one eye always be on hatred for sin and the other always on the beauty and the glory and the wonders of Christ in order to repent? Why must we be a double vision people with regard to that. Now, we're going to begin in an unconventional way. We're going to open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs. If you go to your the middle of your Bible, you've got Psalms, and right next door to Psalms is Proverbs. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs are these collection of wise sayings. Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to read the whole thing. Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call? This chapter personifies wisdom. Treats wisdom as a person. Does not wisdom call? And discernment give forth her voice at the top of the heights upon the way where the pathways meet. She takes her stand beside the gates at the opening to the city at the entrance of the doors. She makes a shout to you. O men, I call and my voice is to the sons of men. Oh, stupid ones, understand prudence. And, oh, fools, understand a heart of wisdom. Do you understand, dear friends, that every second of your life is spent with an earshot of wisdom screaming at you? All the time, wisdom is screaming out at you. And you are either listening to her or you are plugging your ears. Listen, she says, for I will speak noble things. She's not speaking hatred to you. She's not speaking curses to you. She's speaking noble things. And the opening of my lips will reveal upright things. For my mouth will utter truth. And wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Wouldn't you want a friend like that? Wouldn't you want a friend who only speaks to you what is profitable for your life? Who only speaks to you what is right? Who only speaks to you what is knowledgeable and good and beneficial? Who only speaks to you things that will just help you and never harm you. Don't you want a friend like that? You've got a friend right here. She's calling out to you. Take my discipline and not silver and knowledge rather than choicest 
fine gold, for wisdom is better than pearls, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. If you have a choice between silver and wisdom, between gold and wisdom, choose wisdom. Take wisdom. That's always the better choice. I, she says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I live with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. She's the only one who can find true knowledge. She's the only one who can find true discernment. Uh, Wouldn't you rather have wisdom than oxygen? Wouldn't you rather have wisdom than life itself? If the answer to that is no, then it's no doubt you've not found wisdom. Now, here we are. Look with me. The fear of Yahweh is to hate, to hate, to hate evil. The fear of Yahweh is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way in the mouth of perverted words, I hate. Do you know that to love is to hate? They're inseparable. To love is to hate. Can you love and not hate? They are inextricably linked. Can you love people and not hate murder? Can you love truth and not hate falsehood? Can you love justice and not hate injustice? Can we love God really and not hate sin? Can we love marriage and not flirtation or lust or fornication? Can we love babies and not hate abortion? I think I might have misspoke on the one before. Can we love marriage and not hate those things is what I meant to say. Can we love a Christian and not hate the slander of that Christian, the gossip of that Christian, the criticism of that Christian? Wisdom continues. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom I am understanding, might is mine. By me, by wisdom, kings reign, and rulers mark out righteousness. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who judge rightly. And my friends, will we not reign with Christ who are in Christ? And are these not desirable things for us to have immediately, for us to have now? By wisdom, by wisdom alone, Princes reign and kings rule. I want wisdom. She says, I love those who love me. And those who earnestly seek me will find me. This is wisdom speaking to all of us. She will love you if you love her. Riches and glory are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than fine gold, even pure gold. And my produce better than choice silver What do we love? What do we love most? That's the simple question. Whom do we love? Whom do we love most? How do we love? How do we love? 
These are the questions we must answer. These are the questions that search our heart from Proverbs 8. She says, I walk in the path of righteousness, in the midst of the pathways of justice, to give those who love me an inheritance of wealth that I may fill their treasuries. And here's the simple truth. We reject the prosperity gospel of Joel Osteen and all those, those haggardly, miserable crooks. But we do not reject the prosperity gospel entirely. Is not our gospel complete with inheriting the world to come? Will we not be royalty? Will we not be rich? Will we not be immortal? Will we not reign? And so we do preach a prosperity gospel. We just have to suffer through this life to get there. And she promises she will fill our treasuries. The one who loves wisdom will fill our treasuries. We will be rich soon enough. She says, Yahweh possessed me at the beginning of his way. Speaking of the beginning of his creation. Before his deeds of old, from everlasting I was installed. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, when there were no depths I was brought forth, when there were no springs heavy with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills were brought, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields outside, nor the first dust of the world when he established the heavens i was there when he marked out a circle on the face of the deep when he made a firm the skies above when the springs of the deep became strong when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not pass over his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth then i was beside him as a master workman and i was a daily delight Rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth. Do you want something timeless? I was thinking about this as I read this. Why is it that people really enjoy antiques? Because they have a history. They've been somewhere. They've been touched, handled, used by people who have lived and died. They've seen the test of time. Uh, They're ancient. And would we desire antiques and that which is ancient and that which is timeless and that which is classic and wealth and power over this, which is eternal? Wisdom, you can have wisdom now and it's existed before the foundation of everything. It is most antique. It is most ancient. It is most classic. Most enduring. And she says... My delight, my delight, says wisdom, is in the sons of men. Do you know, dear friends, young men and women, do you know that wisdom aggressively delights in God's image bearers? Wisdom delight. Why would we refuse her? Why would we resist her? Why would we remain ignorant of her when her delight is to do you the best good all the time that could possibly be done. So now, she says, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Hear discipline and be wise and do not neglect it. How blessed is the man who hears me to watch daily at my doors, to keep watch at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor 
from Yahweh. Who do you think is the most lucky person on the planet? Who do you think is the most fortunate? You think some celebrity, some person that's just won the lottery is the most fortunate person on the planet? I will tell you who is the most fortunate person on the planet. The person who takes those words absolutely seriously. That is the most, that is the person we should envy the most. It's the one who's believing what we just heard read the most. She warns, but he who sins against me does violence to his own soul. To his own soul. All those who hate me love death. I have a simple question for you tonight. Are you a sin loather? Are you a sin Loather. How many of you, and this is a gross question, but just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever have ever puked after a certain food, you got sick or whatever, whether it was food poisoning or you got the flu or something, and you puked after a certain food and you detested that food after it? Okay, show of hands. My first memory, okay, I must have at least been four years old, and I must have just been four. I must have just been right around there because we just moved in. Well, maybe Jake was around. We had moved into my new, our, our, our house that we grew up in, and maybe Jake was there or not. I don't know. I didn't plan to go into detail about this, but I remember I had eaten a bunch of Spanish rice, okay? Not one of the best foods to puke up. And I, I, I had crawled into bed with my parents. I probably wasn't feeling good, and it went everywhere all over my dad. <laughs> and I remember, I still have memory of his voice. Jake will know the, the voice that he makes. He went, oh, you know, he had this just bellowing disgust. And I could not eat Spanish rice, I kid you not, for years, for my entire childhood. It was revolting to me. The thought, the smell, the taste, the idea of it absolutely made my skin crawl. How much more should our conscience be in disgust towards sin? Sin. Ezekiel 36 says, and I quote, God speaking to Israel, God speaking to sinners who refuse to repent, you shall, watch this, loathe yourselves for your iniquities. Did he say, you shall loathe your iniquities? No. Is that true? Yes. You shall loathe yourselves for your iniquities. That is not a message that you will hear popularly preached out in the world. You won't hear it at all. You shall loathe, you shall hate, despise, find disgust at yourself for your iniquities, for your sins. The eyes never weep for sins that you and I don't see. We have to see them to weep for them. And we won't confess the sins that don't pain us in our heart where there's no heartache for sin There's no shame over our sin. So do you see? Doesn't this make us hate sin? Doesn't this make 
all of this sinful stuff loathsome, all this trouble we've been going through with the doctrine of repentance, has it not cultivated in us by now a hatred for the reason for all of it? I will tell you right now that every second, every day, every year that you grow in Christ, you are going to ache and yearn for the day that you no longer have to repent. It will become so vexing to you, more vexing to you, and it will come to you more naturally the more you see Christ is wonderful and patient and enduring and loving and working all things for your good. Repentance is going to bubble up more and more. The temperature is turned higher. The flames go up, 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 and the conscience, the heart bubbles over more more, more, with more repentance, more hatred for sin. You see, you can discard sins out the boat of your life from fear, from fear, like sailors who throw cargo overboard in a storm. You remember Jonah, they, or, or maybe it was Paul in Acts, that they're throwing all the cargo over the ship so that they wouldn't sink in the storm. And they're doing this from fear. But let me ask you a question. Did they hate the cargo they threw over? They're on a year voyage to transport cargo. That cargo is their livelihood. That's how they're getting their paycheck. That is their treasure. And they're throwing it to save their lives in fear. My friends, you can be throwing sins out for a moment from your lives and not be hating those sins. You can be caught in sin and throw it out and want to sweep it under the rug, but not hate it. And so I'm telling you here, so the scriptures come to us. God comes to us and he says that real repentance, real repentance must hate that sin. There are a million reasons why someone would throw a sin out of their life. But do you hate it? Can we really repent for real, if we still love that sin. I know that you're thinking about it because the Spirit of God is working in you. The Spirit of God convicts everyone of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He's bringing things to your mind that He's wanting you to hate. I don't need to list all these sins. I don't need to. The Spirit's doing that in you. I trust His work in you. I've seen it in me this week. Christ will not be loved by you until sin is loathed. He won't seem sweet until sin is sour and bitter. Real repentance is, is love for God. It's love for Christ. It's seeing Him as lovely and that always hates sin. You almost don't even have to put any effort into hating sin. If you're looking at Him and He's altogether lovely to you and He's becoming more and more lovely to you as you gaze at Him in the pages of His Word, sin will become more and more offensive to you. You will hate it more and more. As you watch Jesus and how He responds to sinners, how He responds when tempted, how He responds in difficulty, how He responds with frustrations, how He responds to 
everything and you see he's so good, you're going to naturally be thinking, even subconsciously, I am so not good. He's so good, there's going to be a corresponding hatred for sin that you aren't even going to have to think about. You've got to look at him. You've got to look at him. Hating sin is the only thing that you hit right on the bullseye by not looking at it at all. You've got to look at Christ. And you're going to hit that target every time. You're going to strike sin every time. Is your spirit set against sin? Do you abhor sin? Does sin most beautifully painted to you disgust you? Would you admire, would you admire or would you despise a masterpiece portrait of the person you hate most? I'm not prescribing that you hate people, okay? But the person who's wronged you most, the person that most makes your skin crawl, if someone painted the most beautiful portrait of them, would you admire it? Or would you find it even more loathsome? How beautiful can you make a pile of dung? The best meal with the finest sauce will absolutely repel us if we hate the type of meat with which it's made. It doesn't matter how you dress it up. It's disgusting. Some people hate lamb. I love lamb. And it doesn't matter how you dress up the lamb. Those people hate it. They hate the flavor of the meat. Sad. It's a misfortune for them. But (laughs) Is your hatred of sin all-encompassing? Does it consume your whole soul? Does your whole soul hate sin? Does your mind hate sin in thought? Does your heart hate sin? hate sin with feeling? Does your will hate sin by refusal? Do you hate all your sins or do you just hate a few that you know other people wouldn't like if they saw? Psalm 119 says, I hate every false way. Every way that's deceptive. Every way that's lying. Every false way. Every not true way. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Psalm 101 says, the one who works deceit shall not live in my house. No way. Now, it's important at this moment to say that we hate sin. We don't hate people. We hate sin. We hate what sin does to people. You hate the lies that are absolutely destroying the lives of people. I'm I'm picking a couple popular phobias that people talk about, okay? You hear people talk about Islamophobia. No, Christians are not to hate the Muslim, not to be fearful of Islam, but we had better hate the lies that they believe that are destroying them. We had better hate those. Think of, it's popular to talk about homophobia, okay? No, we don't hate Homosexuals. We don't hate those in sexual sin. We're not afraid of them. But boy, do we hate the lies that are tearing their souls apart, that are keeping them from the God of all grace 
and love. We hate that. More importantly, we hate the sin in ourselves the most. We cannot think about something that we find disgusting in another person, whether it's their deceit or their pride or whatever, and not immediately sense the Spirit's pointed finger in our soul. Oh, it's there. And I hate it worse than me than I hate it on them. Would you, would you say that you honestly hate your own sin most? More than anyone else's sin? Can we imagine having judges that hate injustice? Politicians that hate lies, actually. And don't just say that they do. Photographers that actually hate lust. Bankers who actually hate greed. Co-workers who actually hate gossip. Notice this. We all want hatred of sin in everyone else, but do you hate your own sin? We all want everyone else to hate their sin because we want to stop suffering for it. But we suffer most for our own sin. Uh, one, one, there, we all have people that we care about, that we know, who don't really hate sin. They just hate what it does in their lives. They hate the consequences. They hate where they're left after they've sinned. That's not repentance, dear friends. To sin yet again in that way and to feel miserable is not repentance. It's just the sad consequence of sin. Do you hate sin or do you just hate what it does to you? Because even the world, even Adolf Hitler can hate what sin does to him and not hate his sin. You know, I've watched Christ push back my defenses And he's pushed me back from beginning where I used to just hate discipline as a boy. I just hated discipline. I hated getting in trouble. And then I started by the work of the Spirit to hate my lying. I see that I lie. I lie to make my life comfortable. I lie to make my life convenient. I lie sometimes just to lie because I think I might need to. And I started hating that. And then he's pushed back further and further. And I realize now that he's pushed back to the root where I'm now hating the fear of man that causes me to lie. And he'll keep doing that. He'll, he, do you see him setting up his government? Do you see him expanding, taking territory? Do you see him reclaiming parts of your soul and your life for his glory? And do you find great joy in this? Is your hatred for sin a source of joy and celebration in your life? Yes, Lord, I'm so thankful that I hate sin more. That I see it deeper into the trunk and the root of the tree of my heart. I'm no longer preoccupied with trying to change the fruit on the tree. See, that's what non-believers are trying to do. They go down to the market and they try to pluck off all the apples from the tree and to put on oranges and say, see, I'm now an orange tree. That's what religion does, folks. Does nothing. We want to see that the trunk, the root, is polluted. 
We don't hate the sin if we want to make peace with even one of the soldiers in its army. Where are you wanting to make peace with sin? How are you deceiving yourself? Oh, I'll fight all those armies over there as long as I can go party with this one here tonight. That's not hatred of sin. We don't hate the lust if we're willing to watch it in the movie. We don't hate the greed if we're willing to watch it on the show. Well, at least I'm not doing it. But I'll get excitement watching others do it. You see, that brings us to a very important point. Scripture says that it's more disgusting in God's sight that we would love sin than that we would commit it ourselves. Do we hate sin because of hell? Or do we hate sin like hell? Hatred of sin is implacable. It's a fancy word. It means it's unappeasable. Hatred is unappeasable. You can pacify anger. Someone can be angry and you can pacify them. You can calm them down. You can't pacify hatred. Hatred is hatred. You cannot reconcile hatred to sin. You cannot reconcile... I don't know what I meant to say there. That sounded weird after it came out of my mouth. You cannot reconcile it to sin. Hatred for sin. I guess you can't reconcile hatred for sin to sin, right? That's good. Give myself a high five later. Loving sin is worse than committing it. Listen to this. Jeremiah 11 says, when you do evil, you rejoice. All of us in this room sin unintentionally. All of us do. We're going to sin unintentionally tonight. We're going to sin unintentionally tomorrow. But to love sin displays desperation. I'm desperate for it. To love it. The more of your will in a sin, the worse the sin. Sin is a cursed thing. It's a misshapen monster. Romans 7.13 says, sin is exceedingly, or literally, hyperbolically sinful. Do you hate that sin is sinful? Is that why you hate it? Do you hate your sin, the thing that the Lord keeps bringing to your attention right now, that one thing that he wants you to focus on? Do you hate that thing because it is sinful, because it is loveless to God, because it is faithless, because it is fleshy, because it's opposed to God and God is opposed to it, because it lacks love for Christ? Or do you just hate what it's doing in your life? 1 John 3 says the one who does sin habitually is of the devil. God says sin dishonors him, despises him, enrages him, wearies him, breaks his heart more than an adulterous wife breaks the heart of her loving, faithful husband. Ezekiel 6, 9 says, I am broken with their whorish heart. Does sin make us sick? Does it make us sick? Do I hate what doesn't disgust me? Sin, my friends, is worse 
than anything that can ever happen to you. I'm going to repeat that. Sin is worse than anything that can ever happen to you. Hebrews 6 says that sin crucifies Christ. Sin ridicules Christ. Sin is the cause for all affliction in the world. Affliction only exists because sin came into the world. And so, sin is worse than all affliction. Sin is worse than all suffering. Let me ask you a question. Do you hate sin? Do you hate your sin more than you hate any and all suffering in your life? Really evaluate that. What would break your heart more than to sin? Whatever that thing is that would sadden you more, that you would hate to happen to you, whatever that thing is, you are bound to find tons of sin there because that is an idol that is standing tall and proud in your heart. Psalm 119 says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Can you ever say, It is good for me that I sinned. And so sin is far worse than suffering. Christ commands that we party when we're persecuted. He says, man, you've struck the lotto. That is a high privilege to suffer for the name. God uses suffering for our good. It's like a man throwing a large bag of coins at you that bruises you and weakens your bones but makes you filthy rich. That is how God uses suffering. It hurts for a little while, but it enriches you. Here's the terrifying question. Has God let you sin without restraint, without control? Psalm 81 says, I released them over to the stubbornness of their heart. My friends, if this tonight has met you sinning without restraint, just being given to something. Oh, my friend, I pray that God would give you a love for God and a fear for God that results in a hatred for that sin, that you would depart from it and flee to a beautiful, wonderful, glorious, gracious Christ who will sweep you up. He'll scoop you up and he'll never spit you out. Nothing in hell is worse than the sin it punishes. Hell is holy. Sin is unholy. Hell is justice. Sin is injustice. Hell glorifies God. Sin defies God. Hate your sin more than you hate hell itself. And look at the groaning king nailed to the cross on Calvary under God's hatred of sin and ask yourself, can I love that sin that caused his pain? Could you love that? 
which would take you to hell. Do you hate that which killed the one who died your soul to save? At the end of this all, we should hate sin infinitely more than we've ever loved it. So let's pray for that now. Father, we ask that you would give us a love for you as we gaze at your love and that this love for you would flash red in hatred of our sin. We pray it. We pray it. We beg you for it. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. We meet on Sundays at 5.30 p.m. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. And if you're interested in a great Bible college here in the area, check out calchristiancollege.edu. Tune in next Tuesday for the next episode in our series. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.